This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin this hour with breaking news. President Trump this afternoon asked about working with the next administration to get vaccines into Americans' arms to save lives. Falsely said that he may be leading the next administration. President Trump still refusing to accept the will of the American people, not to mention preparing the nation for this huge undertaking. Though this could soon be happening in the U.S., these are some of the very first vaccinations taking place in the United Kingdom. Approval of the Pfizer vaccine in the U.S. is expected in two days. Also this afternoon, President-elect Biden introduced members of his health team who will be tasked with getting these vaccines into the arms of the American people. The incoming president is promising 100 million vaccine doses in his first 100 days. So let's start at the White House, where Caitlin Collins reports that the Trump administration's vaccine summit quickly went off the rails into crazy town when the president pivoted the topic to his many election conspiracy theory grievances. Any questions, please? A White House summit meant to tell progress on coronavirus vaccines quickly went off the rails today as President Trump wrongly implied he may still be in office next year. We're going to have to see who the next administration is because uh, we won in those swing states. Trump was asked why no members of President-elect Joe Biden's transition team were invited given Biden will be inaugurated soon and his administration will take over the distribution. Hopefully the next administration will be the Trump administration because you can't steal hundreds of thousands of votes. You can't have fraud and deception and all of the things that they did. Despite a string of court losses and recounts that have affirmed Biden's win, Trump called on state legislatures or even the Supreme Court to help him overturn the election results. Let's see if they have the courage to do what everybody in this country knows is right. The president didn't mention how the federal government is now facing new scrutiny for passing up a chance to lock in more doses of Pfizer's vaccine. We're very hopeful that the FDA will authorize the Pfizer vaccine within days. Federal officials turned down an opportunity to buy millions of more doses of the vaccine this summer before it was proven to be highly successful in clinical trials, which the head of Operation Warp Speed defended today. No one reasonably would buy more from any one of those vaccines because we didn't know which one would work and which one may be better than the other. But Monsef Slawi said he couldn't explain the executive order Trump signed today that would prioritize vaccines for Americans, then distribute it to other countries. It sounds like the problem is the opposite right now. Pfizer has made deals with other countries that are going to limit the supply here. Frankly, I don't know. And frankly, I'm saying out of this, I can't comment. I, you don't I literally know? don't know. Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA commissioner who is now on the board of Pfizer, said Pfizer's doses have been promised to other countries. Some of it was promised to other countries um, after it was offered multiple times to the United States. Meanwhile, Jake, we have now learned that the president's other attorney, Jenna Ellis, has now tested positive for coronavirus, according to what she told associates today. And, of course, that comes after she has been crisscrossing the country with Rudy Giuliani, who, of course, was hospitalized with coronavirus on Sunday, though he did just give an interview to WABC Radio where he said that he believes he could be released from the hospital as soon as tomorrow. And, Jake, he confirmed that he has been taking that cocktail steroid, uh, similar to the one that President Trump took when he was in the hospital hospital with coronavirus that's typically reserved, according to medical experts, for the more severe cases of COVID-19. That's right. There does seem to be a, a special exemption made for friends of the president as well as the president when it comes to getting this 
uh, highly potent cocktail. Uh, thanks you so much, uh, Caitlin Collins. This afternoon, as President-elect Joe Biden introduced key members of his health team, he laid out a three-step plan uh, for getting the coronavirus pandemic under control during his first 100 days as president. It includes delivering at least 100 million doses of the vaccine, working to get every child back in school, as CNN's Arlette Science reports. As COVID-19 rages across the country, President-elect Joe Biden laid out a blueprint for tackling the pandemic in his first 100 days in office. But I'm absolutely convinced that in 100 days we can change the course of the disease and change life in America for the better. The president-elect's goals developed with the help of Dr. Anthony Fauci include widespread mask wearing, getting more kids back in classrooms, and putting 100 million vaccine shots in Americans' arms. 100 million shots in the first 100 days. And we'll follow the guidance of science to get the vaccines to those most at risk. From his home base in Delaware, the president-elect unveiled the key members of his health team. The pandemic's impact seen clearly, with some joining virtually, including Biden's pick to lead the Department of Health and Human Services, California Attorney General Javier Becerra, who would be the first Latino HHS secretary. At HHS, tackling pandemics, saving lives, keeping us healthy should be our calling card. One of Biden's top advisors since the start of the pandemic, Dr. Vivek Murthy, set to reprise his role as Surgeon General. While this is a daunting task, we absolutely have as a country what we need to overcome this virus. And the incoming director of the CDC, explaining the team's commitment to serve. But every doctor knows that when a patient is coding, your plans don't matter. You answer the code. And when the nation is coding, if you are called to serve, you serve. With his health team set, the president-elect is nominating retired Army General Lloyd Austin as Secretary of Defense, who would be the first African-American to lead the Pentagon. So, folks, you're led by one of the truly great generals uh, in the United States military. The president-elect is also meeting today with the NAACP and other top civil rights groups who want to see more diversity in his cabinet. We want to make sure that civil rights is front and center for this administration from day one to the end of this term. When it comes to a vaccine, the president-elect has said that his team has not seen a detailed plan for how this vaccine will actually be distributed and implemented. But the head of Operation Warp Speed has said that they do have a plan and they are planning to brief the Biden team on Thursday. We'll see what more they learn there. Jake. All right. Arlette Signs in Wilmington, Delaware. Thanks so much. CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta joins me now to discuss the vaccine and the virus. Uh, Sanjay, President-elect Biden uh, promising to distribute 100 million doses of the vaccine in his first 100 days in office. Is that possible? Can he do that? Well, it, it seems uh, doable, Jake. You know, we've seen the calendar sort of of the potential rollout. I mean, there's a lot of caveats in there and a lot of things got to go right. But, you know, based on what we've seen with Moderna and Pfizer alone, we know that by the end of the year, if these authorizations occur, and it's looking you know, very likely they will, that there should be 40 million doses available by the end of the year. And then you, know, you get into January, February, March, uh, maybe another 100 million doses. So if he's talking about doses specifically, uh, yeah, very doable. Obviously, these vaccines require two doses. So if he means 100 million people, 
that may require more vaccines coming online. And I can tell you, Jake, just quickly from our own reporting, um, both Janssen, which is the division of Johnson and Johnson and, um, and uh, AstraZeneca, Oxford AstraZeneca, uh, are likely to apply for their emergency use authorizations end of next month, end of January as well, if the data sort of that they're starting to see holds up. So we'll see if those if you have four uh, vaccines potentially, I think you could hit those numbers. The FDA released more details on the Pfizer vaccine, indicating it has a 95 percent efficacy uh, and may even give protection after just the first of two doses. Yeah, this, I think, is going to be a really critical point and a point of contention right now because there is evidence that there is uh, some benefit after the first dose. Now, I can tell you, we can show you it's around 52 percent. So it's, it's a lot lower, obviously, than getting both doses. But it's a hard thing to study, Jake. You really just have a three-week time period in between the first dose and the second dose. You're looking for people who develop uh, symptoms of COVID during that time. It can be hard to figure out. But I think the question that it's going to come, Jake, is if you have 40 million doses, do you go ahead and give 40 million people some protection and then get the, the second doses for those folks manufactured? Or do you give 20 million doses, keep 20 million in the refrigerator and keep doing it that way? And I can tell you, um, not everyone agrees on this. Uh, Mansaf Slawi, who I spoke to last week, he's a, sort of more in the category of keeping the 20 million, making sure you have the second dose for people. But there are others who've suggested just get as many doses into arms as quickly as possible. What do you make of this reporting from The New York Times that's now been confirmed by Scott Gottlieb and Monsef Slaoui uh, that the White House passed on the opportunity to secure up to 500 million more doses of the Pfizer vac- vaccine? Uh, the White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany denied it. At this point, it would be news if she told the truth. We've already had this confirmed. Um, looking at it empirically, you heard Monsef Slaoui explain he didn't know, they didn't know that it, the vaccine was going to be as good as it was. Do you consider this to be an understandable decision uh, or was this a big mistake? Well, it, it does seem um, the, the rationale that, that uh, Mansa Slawi gave and others have given as well were, were twofold. One is at the time they were making bets, they weren't certain which of these vaccines was actually going to you know, get through phase three clinical trials and actually start to be able to show benefit. Also, um, from what I understand, HHS just put out a Twitter thread about this saying that they didn't have a confirmation that they could have deliverable vaccine on a timetable they wanted from Pfizer. And that's part of the reason they say, at least, they didn't go ahead and make those orders. Uh, one thing, Jake, let me just show you the, the other vaccines, though, to give you some context here. There were a lot of bets made on, on various vaccines. Uh, Oxford AstraZeneca, uh, the 300 million doses essentially purchased. So that was, you know, you can tell now when you look back where they thought they were most likely going to see success. And again, we may see AstraZeneca as well as Johnson Johnson, second from the bottom, apply for emergency use authorizations within the next couple of months. But if you start to do the math there, you have lots of different makers of vaccines and a lot of bets that were made. So uh, there could still be plenty of vaccine, but it does seem like with the Pfizer thing, uh, you know, they're they're rationalizing why they didn't make that order. Uh, Basically saying they they weren't confident, HHS saying they weren't confident that Pfizer could actually deliver that many doses. The FDA commissioner told you today that they might not have enough data to advise whether or not pregnant women should take the vaccine. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, so there's 53 pages essentially that we went through today looking at the data specifically. We've heard 95% efficacy. But, you know, when you look at the data, it breaks it down by age. It breaks it down by race. It breaks it down by whether or not you have pre-existing conditions. And there were a few things that sort of jumped out at us um, in terms of who may not benefit from the vaccine. And I asked Dr. Hahn about this. Here's how he answered. Pregnant women weren't specifically enrolled in the clinical trials, and it may require additional studies if the authorization occurs and there's information um, in our data packet that will address this specific question. That's when we'll have a more definitive answer. So uh, in addition to pregnant women, they also said uh, children under the age of 16 uh, were not likely, you know, as part of the data set, not likely to show uh, enough evidence and, and also people who are immune compromised, either because they have some sort of uh, uh, disease or because maybe they're receiving chemotherapy. The concern there seems to be if you don't have a strong enough immune system, you can't build the antibodies that actually make you immune. So again, that's speculation. Even Dr. Hahn doesn't know for sure how the, uh, how the FDA committee will actually rule on these things, but it's likely, Jake, those three groups may be excluded. All right, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Coming up, he's yeah. 91 years old and outside of a clinical trial, one of the first people in the world to get the coronavirus vaccine. There's no point in dying now when I haven't lived this long, is there? I don't plan to anyway. The world is watching as the UK gives the first doses of vaccines. Then, some tense moments when the police raid the home of a for- Florida former data scientist who accused the government of a COVID cover-up. But there is a lot more to the story. Stay with us. A landmark day in the health lead today, the very first coronavirus Pfizer vaccines outside of a clinical trial were distributed in the United Kingdom today as the United States hits a much more dangerous milestone. COVID hospitalization rates in the U.S. are exploding, hitting new records and hospital staff worry they do not have enough doctors and nurses to handle the surge. We're going to go live to the UK in a moment where a vaccine is giving people their new hope and get all the details on getting the vaccine out here in the United States. But we're going to start today with CNN's Nick Watt, as many U.S. city leaders weigh new restrictions to slow the new accelerated spread. If the worst happens, hospitals will not be able to treat all sick Pennsylvanians. They'll be forced to turn away people who need treatment. More Americans in the hospital with COVID now than ever. And that means more death. The number of deaths is escalating in our state now with leaps and bounds. Because virus spread is accelerating. In September, it took 25 days to log a million new cases. This latest million, the 15th, took just five. Five days. The good news is we're close, but the challenging news is this. The hardest weeks, I think, are still ahead of us. More than 30 million Californians ordered once again to stay home. We're experiencing a surge like we've never seen. The global vaccine rollout is now underway, started in England. Of course, I couldn't damn well find anywhere to park my car, so I was late. Minor hiccup aside. Except that I hope I aren't not going to have the bloody bug now. The U.S. waiting on FDA authorization, likely just days behind. The vaccine is coming next week. The vaccine will be here in New York City. But supply is tight. 
Logistics, challenging. We anticipate the rollout of the vaccine to take six, nine, could even be 12 months before everyone is immunized. Pfizer will work to increase capacity. Moderna's vaccine is nearing rollout. Johnson & Johnson now in late-stage trials. We might have results sooner than expected, but we target for results in the month of January. And the federal government still says they'll have... The volume of vaccines we need to immunize the U.S. population, as we promised, all of it by the middle of the year 2021, and that's still on track. Now, an FDA advisory panel just released analysis of the Pfizer vaccine that found no specific safety concerns that would preclude issuance of emergency authorization. We also in this country just passed 15 million cases, 15 million, that is one in every 22 Americans, 15 million, also equivalent to the population of the three biggest cities in the country, New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. Yeah, Jake. It's a real policy failure. Nick Watt, thank you so much. Much like the U.S. plans to do, the government of the U.K. is giving its first doses of the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine to the most vulnerable and to healthcare workers. Let's go to CNN's Max Foster, who's in Wales right now. Max, how was day one of the rollout in the U.K.? seems to have gone really well. It was a huge logistical exercise, getting 800,000 doses across from Belgium to the UK. They are in these hospital hubs around the UK. Here in Wales, those locations are being kept secret for fear of people turning up and trying to get the vaccine and queuing up and causing uh, problems there. But generally, the system's gone very well. Four million doses are expected to be in the country by the end of the year. So it's a very ambitious project. And it's created a lot of hope, I have to say. People are very excited about the process unfolding here. Let's hear from a couple of people that received doses today, starting with Margaret Keenan, the very first person to receive the Pfizer vaccine outside a trial in the world. She's across the border in England. The best thing that's ever happened uh, at the moment. So do, please go for it. That's all I say, you know. If I can do it, well, so can you. I hope I am not going to have the bloody bug now. <laughs> I don't intend to have it because I've got granddaughters and I want to live a long time to enjoy their lives. So, lots of excitement, Jake. Uh, the second person to receive it happened to be called William Shakespeare. That's getting a lot of <laughs> attention here. But some hope, some positivity, actually, after all those months of gloom, particularly for the health workers. All right, Max, thank you so much. Appreciate it. In the U.S., fears are mounting that the federal government will not be able to secure enough doses of the Pfizer vaccine after repeatedly turning down offers to order more than 500 million more doses, the New York Times and Washington Post reported, and it has been confirmed that the U.S. may not be able to get more than the 100 million doses already secured until summer. CNN Sarah Murray joins me now. And Sarah, how are states planning for the next phases of vaccine distribution? if they do not know how many doses they're going to be getting. Well, look, Jake, it's a challenge. And when we talk to states, they say, you know, here's our plan today. Check back tomorrow because we may get a new number of the number of doses that will be coming in. And, you know, you sort of see through this Pfizer news that even the federal government is still negotiating with these companies to try to figure out how much of this vaccine is going to be made available. Once the FDA authorizes one or more vaccines, they're going to send out this first wave. But then it's going to be states getting information on a weekly basis about 
how many additional doses they're going to be receiving. So they are going to essentially have to tap dance on this every week until we start to see larger numbers of vaccine manufacturing. And this is really difficult. You know, it means you need to initially line up which healthcare workers are going to come first, which folks who are living in assisted care facilities are going to come first. And then from beyond that, the challenge grows even larger, Jake. Are states now starting that process to figure out who is going to get vaccinated uh, after the healthcare workers and long-term care residents? Well, they're certainly starting to think about it. I mean, we're going to wait to hear again from the CDC Advisory Committee about how they think essential workers should be defined. But this is really going to be up to governors and their own industries state by state. And so you could see, for instance, if you are a state with a big you know, meatpacking industry, you might view that as a more essential workforce than an, another state may. But this is going to be a really difficult position for governors. They're already starting to get lobbied by every industry in their state. Jake, you've seen the kind of economic pain this has caused. So you can imagine that every industry wants to be the kind of essential industry that could go first. But for a long time, for the coming months, there's just going to be limited supply of these vaccines. And there are going to be a lot of tough choices ahead for these state level policymakers. All right, Sarah Murray, thank you so much. Appreciate it. President Trump just went off the rails at a vaccine again, once a, a vaccine event, once again, falsely claiming that he won the election. Coming up next, conservative lawyer and Trump critic George Conway joins me to discuss all the legal challenges to Biden's victory. In our politics lead today, President Trump continues to claim falsely that he won the election. I'll say it again. That's wrong. He lost. The president today even called on someone, a lawmaker or perhaps a Supreme Court justice, to, in his view, do the right thing and back him up. Of course, that would not be the right thing. It would be the wrong thing. And it's not just the president, it is also his allies on Capitol Hill. Sources tell CNN today that Republican leadership rejected an inauguration-related resolution acknowledging what we all know to be reality, Joe Biden is the president-elect. Conservative attorney and co-founder of the Lincoln Project, George Conway, joins me now uh, live. I guess, George, before we get to dive into some of these legal challenges, how long can Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, Roy Blunt deny reality. I, I expect that President Trump will deny reality for the rest of his life. But, but how long can Republican leaders do it? Uh, well, I, they're doing a pretty good job so far. I mean, they shouldn't be able to do it now. Today was an important day in that should have been an important day in putting the nail, the last nail in the coffin of the Trump's, Trump campaign's suggestion that he won the election. It's Safe Harbor Day, so-called Safe Harbor Day, which is a provision in uh, Title III of the U.S. Code, it's enacted a pursuant to Article II of the Constitution that basically says that if states have, in substance, if states have certified the election in their states for presidential electors, that's conclusive upon Congress. And all of the states that truly matter, Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Arizona, you can go right on to archives.gov and you can see the certificate signed by the, the, the governors of those various states allotting their state's electors to the Democrats, to including Joe Biden, Republican governors including Republicans, but yeah, Ducey and, and Kemp. Absolutely. This is over. This has been over for a long time. It's going to be officially over on December 14 when those electors that have been selected on those certificates actually get together in their state capitals and vote. vote. But this cake has been baked for a long time, and it's just crazy that all of this is still going on, that people are pretending and saying, oh, it's likely he's won the election or even denying it the way Trump has. It's just gotten to the point of just delusion, a combination of delusion and, and an absolute uh, mendacity 
so, for some people. Speaking of which, Senator Ted Cruz is asking the Supreme Court to take up a, a lawsuit in Pennsylvania challenging the state's mail-in voting, uh, which was passed by the Republican legislature in Pennsylvania. Cruz has offered to argue the merits of the case at the high court. Here he is on Fox last night. So I'm hopeful the Supreme Court will step forward to its responsibility and resolve this case and resolve other cases as needed according to law and according to the Constitution to say this is a country where we respect the rule of law, where we follow the Constitution, not the momentary partisan swells of interest or passion you may see on on either side. Cruz always says this, and he never acknowledges that the Republican legislatures in Pennsylvania uh, passed this law. But beyond that, Pennsylvania Republican Senator Pat Toomey uh, is obviously taking the opposite approach, telling the Philadelphia Inquirer, quote, the outcome of the election is clear, and that is that Joe Biden won the election. Do you think there's a chance the Supreme Court might take up this case that Cruz is pushing? No, it doesn't have a snowball's chance. They're going to deny the emergency application. Ted uh, offered to argue the case. There's going to be no argument because you don't argue emergency applications. There is no federal issue in that case for the Supreme Court to accept or resolve. That, that, the, 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 that case came from the state courts of Pennsylvania, and the issue was whether or not the, you know, art, art, um, Chapter 77 or whatever the law was that was passed in, in 2019 um, by the, you know, by, also by the Republicans in the state legislature, whether that violates the Constitution of the state of Pennsylvania. And the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania has says that it doesn't for good and sufficient reason. And they said in this particular lawsuit, we don't even have to get there because this lawsuit was brought too late. If you want to challenge this law, you should have challenged it right after it was brought or before the election. And the Supreme Court can only take cases that involve federal issues. They don't decide, they don't get to decide what state law means. They don't get to say to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, hey, you misinterpret the Pennsylvania Supreme um, Constitution. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court has the last word there. There is just no federal issue in this case. There's no basis for the emergency injunction. And even if there were some kind of a basis, even if there were some kind of an argument, there is no way that any court today, after, the, after these states, including Pennsylvania, have certified their electors to the archivist of the United States, that they're going to overturn that certification and demand and, and order that a new election be held, which is essentially the relief, relief that they're seeking, which is completely insane. It's crazy. Um, and then uh, in Cruz's home state of Texas, the attorney general of Texas, who's facing allegations against him that are a separate matter, he's asking the Supreme Court to take up a lawsuit to overturn the election results in four other states and commonwealths, not including his own state. Is there any merit? No, no. This is the most insane thing yet. First of all, I mean, the, the Supreme Court has jurisdiction to hear disputes among states, and usually it's for borders and rivers. The notion that the Supreme Court is going to have a litigation among where states are attacking each other's rules for choosing electors is insane, and they are not going to do that at any point in time. And that, and that lawsuit, I mean, I, I skimmed some of it. I mean, it, basically, it's a motion for leave to allow them to file a complaint, which the Supreme Court has the discretion to just deny because they can decide, we don't want to hear this case, bring it somewhere else. The, the, the case is just lie after lie in it. For example, they, they say, they talk about the ballot dumps in the middle of the night, and they say, oh, there's a one in 10 quadrillion chance or something like that that that, that all these votes, that these votes would have been so heavily Democratic as though 
you know, they're pretending as though the Democrats and Republicans are equally mixed in mail-in versus voting in person and and that, the, you know, the middle of the state is diff- is not different from Philadelphia. Right. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, we all know we've watched elections for years and we know that, oh, wow, we have to wait for, you know, suburban such and so to come in. And that's a heavily Republican. So we can't call it now. We all know this. And they're, they're peddling to the Supreme Court the notion that it's it's anomalous that some some votes in some areas at some points in time are going to be more one sided than others. It's crazy. And they're saying that. And they're also recycling. I mean, to do this in the Supreme Court of the United States is out. For, for a member of the Supreme Court bar to do this in the Supreme Court of the United States is absolutely outrageous. They're throwing in all the garbage allegations of fraud that the Trump campaign wouldn't even put in some of their complaints in federal district court. It's absurd and an embarrassment. And for a public official, let alone any lawyer, let alone any member of the Supreme Court bar, bring this lawsuit is atrocious. Uh, and, and lastly, uh, state electors, as you note, uh, on Monday are going to cast their votes and make Joe Biden's win official for the 20th time. Um, CNN asked Republican Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio if President Trump should concede that day. His response was, no way, no way, no way, because Jordan wants a battle on the House floor come January. Does Speaker Pelosi just have the ability just to make sure that doesn't happen? Well, he, she should. I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't know about the parliamentary rules, but that law that I mentioned at the very beginning of our segment here, safe harbor law. The safe harbor law basically says that those votes, those electoral votes in the states that file their certificates um, by today, are conclusive. You cannot challenge their bona fides. You cannot say, "Oh, the election was fraudulent." If the governor of Georgia says these are the electors, these are Biden's electors have been elected. If the governor of Arizona, the Republican governor of Arizona, says that, in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, they're all saying that. He gets three, Biden gets 306 electoral votes and nobody's going to be able to challenge that and they can make all the noise they want. It's an embarrassment. It's, it's, they are just, they are misleading some segment of the American people that wants to believe that somehow Donald Trump can pull this off. And it's the, the biggest election fraud of the 2020 cycle. It didn't happen in any voting booth or in any, any mailing drop box. It's happening now with these people peddling the lie that he won the election. George Conway, thank you for your expertise and your moral clarity. We appreciate it. Coming up, uh, she was a COVID data scientist in Florida, but she lost her job after accusing the state of covering up the number of coronavirus deaths. Then police raided her house. What are the accusations she's facing? That's next. We're back with our politics lead and some Senate Democrats criticizing their Republican colleagues for holding a hearing on the coronavirus and inviting a discredited vaccine skeptic to testify. The witnesses have made many harmful inflammatory statements. Those statements include undermining a COVID-19 vaccine, promoting unproven therapeutics, discouraging common sense measures to stop the spread of the virus like social distancing and masks, and even comparing physicians who support these interventions to supporters of a Nazi regime. It's not just Democrats. Republican Senator Mitt Romney of Utah said today, quote, it's nuts to bring that into the Senate. CNN's Lauren Fox is on Capitol Hill for us. Now, Lauren, how are senators responding? 
Well, Jake, what you had was Democrats essentially not participating today in this hearing. While a few members might have been listening, they were not asking questions or pressing the witnesses, in part because they didn't want to give them any more time to espouse their views. You had the top Democrat on the committee, Gary Peters, give an opening statement saying that while he was open to hearing other views, he did think it was the committee's responsibility, especially at a time when the coronavirus vaccine rollout is just around the corner, to build public support in science and not so any doubt when it comes to the efficacy of vaccines. Now, you saw some Republicans on the committee not even participating, including Senator Mitt Romney, a Republican from Utah, who said it was, quote, nuts to have one of the witnesses, Jane Orient, testify today. Now, Orient is someone who is a known vaccine skeptic. She's also someone who throughout the hearing today pushed hydroxychloroquine as a cure for coronavirus, something that multiple reputable studies have made clear is absolutely not a cure for coronavirus. In fact, some studies have shown it can actually hurt patients. Now, I pressed Senator Ron Johnson, who is the chairman of this committee, why he thought it was essential to hold this hearing today. And I asked him to, you know, respond to some of the criticism he had received from his colleagues, including Republican Senator Mitt Romney. He told me essentially that he thinks it's important to have a wide view of some of the ideas out there. He also told me on Romney's criticism specifically, quote, I don't listen to criticism that's made out of ignorance. Jake. All right, Lauren Fox, thank you so much. He's just pointing a gun at my children. Search warrant. Come down the stairs, sir. This video tops our national lead. It's a video from the home of Florida's former COVID data scientist as her house was raided by police. Rebecca Jones was fired in May for insubordination. She accused Florida's government of covering up just how bad the pandemic really was in Florida. And now she claims the raid was retaliation from the governor, Ron DeSantis, as CNN's Drew Griffin reports. They have a gun out! They have a gun out! They came with guns drawn, a camera in the hallway, showing the moment Florida Department of Law Enforcement officers raided Rebecca Jones' Tallahassee home. Police, come down now! All this over an unauthorized text message allegedly sent through an internal system at the Florida Department of Health. The officers say Jones refused to open the door for 20 minutes. She says she was getting dressed. They did not make an arrest, but seized computers and phones and thumb drives that Jones says contained evidence of corruption at the state level. On my phone is every communication I've ever had with someone who works at the state who has come to me in confidence and told me things that could get them fired. A search warrant affidavit obtained by CNN says someone accessed a state emergency planning system and sent a group text to more than 1,700 recipients urging state workers to speak out before it's too late. The system uses an app called ReadyOp, and everyone in the department just uses the same username and password. Yet according to the warrant, investigators traced the IP address of the message to Jones' house. Did you send that text on that system? No. I haven't had access to any systems at DOH for over six months. I'm not a hacker. Last night on CNN, Jones claims the raid, the investigation, is nothing more than Governor Ron DeSantis using police to shut her up. This is just a very thinly veiled attempt of the governor to intimidate scientists 
and get back at me while trying to get to my sources. A spokesman for the governor insists the governor's office had no involvement, no knowledge, no nothing of this investigation. Jones, who helped build Florida's online coronavirus data dashboard, was fired in May in what she argued was retaliation for her refusal to fudge the numbers and minimize the scale of the outbreak. Emails obtained by CNN show Jones pushed back against instructions to limit access to raw data on the state's dashboard. I'm not pulling our primary resource for coronavirus data because he wants to stick it to journalists, she wrote, referring to another official. State officials say she was fired back in May for insubordination and making changes to the state's COVID-19 dashboard without input or approval. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at the time said this. She was putting data on the portal, which the scientists didn't believe was valid data. Jones filed a whistleblower complaint and launched her own online dashboard of Florida coronavirus data, a website that she says was operated from one of the computers officers seized Monday. DeSantis needs to worry less about what I'm writing about and more about the people who are sick and dying in his state and doing this to me will not stop me from reporting the data, ever. Governor Ron DeSantis has faced stiff criticism for his handling of the virus, refusing to order shutdowns, institute mask mandates, and some say downplaying the numbers of Floridians who've become sick and die. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement is defending this raid, but Jake, there are big questions as to why it took place in the first place. This all amounts to accessing a state computer system with a username and a password that a lot of people share, so you couldn't even consider this a hack. We'll find out more if and when anybody is charged in this investigation. Jake? Andrew, uh, Jones's detractors point to the fact that she has a history with law enforcement. Well, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, she has a two, two, 2019 misdemeanor charge of stalking. It involved allegedly posting pictures of a boyfriend online. That case is still pending. She said it was part of a uh, internal blog with abused women. That case continues. All right, Drew Griffin, thank you so much. Coming up, why some of Joe Biden's fellow Democrats are raising concerns about his pick for Secretary of Defense. That's next. This is CNN Breaking News. We have some breaking news for you now. As you know, President Trump, his allies and sycophants all over the country have been attempting to overturn the results of a Democratic free and fair election. And we have the U.S. Supreme Court weighing in right now on one of those many attempts. Let's bring in Jessica Schneider, uh, who can tell us more. And Jessica, this is from Republicans in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania trying to invalidate their own election results because Joe Biden won the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. What did the U.S. Supreme Court have to say about the case? Jake, the Supreme Court denying wholeheartedly all of these efforts by Republicans in Pennsylvania to invalidate the vote there, to block the certification. This is really a fatal blow to the Republican effort. This was a simple message from the Supreme Court. It was a one-line order. It was unsigned, saying that all of the relief they sought was denied. And this is important because this is the first time since November 3rd that the Supreme Court has weighed in on an election dispute. There are several other matters pending right now at the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court weighing in just before five o'clock on what, of course, is Safe Harbor Day. This is the day that by federal law, the certifications have to be finalized. And this is 
these certifications are what the House of Representatives have to take into account. It's what electors have to take into account when the Electoral College meets on Monday. So this is significant from the Supreme Court. It is unsigned, but there are no noted dissents here of these nine justices. And Jake, it's interesting because this morning the uh, the state of Pennsylvania responded to this effort by Pennsylvania's uh, Republicans. And, you know, they put it that, that, that if the Supreme Court had granted this relief, it would have been one of the most dramatic, disruptive invocations of judicial power in the history of the Republic. And obviously tonight, the Supreme Court not going there and denying this relief, issuing that fatal blow to Republicans. Jake? Yeah. And uh, obviously, uh, I'm grateful as a, as a former Pennsylvanian. My parents no longer have to worry about everybody trying to take away their legal votes. So thank you to the U.S. Supreme Court (laughs) for not disenfranchising my mom and my dad. Also, breaking moments ago, President-elect Joe Biden officially nominated retired Army General Lloyd Austin, the former commander of U.S. Central Command, to be his secretary of defense, if confirmed by the Senate. Austin would be the first black American to lead the Department of Defense. But some Democrats are already pushing back because Austin needs a congressional waiver to be confirmed to the historically civilian post. CNN Pentagon correspondent Barbara Starr joins me now. Barbara, despite the concerns, Biden is now explaining why he picked Austin. Tell us what you're learning. Indeed, Jake, writing in Atlantic, the president-elect wrote a detailed defense of his Austin selection, saying in part it's because General Austin has proven to work well under pressure. The first pressure Austin may face is getting confirmed by Congress. Retired four-star General Lloyd Austin will be the first black secretary of defense if confirmed by the Senate. President-elect Joe Biden selecting a general he's known for years. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct honor and privilege to introduce to you the vice president of the United States, Mr. Joe Biden. But Biden's first commander-in-chief decision to nominate Austin may run into a political buzzsaw on Capitol Hill. Austin needs a congressional waiver, as required by law, because he's been out of the military less than seven years. The top Democrat on the Senate Armed Services Committee put his marker down in 2017 after a waiver was granted to James Mattis, President Trump's first defense secretary. Let me be very, very clear. I will not support a waiver for any future nominees under the incoming administration or future administrations. Now Reid says he would like to hear from Austin on why he should get a waiver. Concern also from other Democrats that civilian leadership of the military remains the norm and there isn't an unexpected cozy relationship with generals still on duty. Senator Richard Blumenthal already opposes a waiver. Three other Democratic senators are uncertain. Choosing another recently retired general to serve in a role that is designed for a civilian just feels off, said Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, who knows Austin from her time at the Pentagon. Austin is a historic choice for a military that for decades has struggled with diversity. Just 19% of the enlisted force is black. Just over 8% of the force 
are officers, according to the Pentagon. Austin is a highly decorated combat veteran. Much of his recent career focused on Afghanistan and Iraq, where he led the 2011 withdrawal. The deeply reserved one-time four-star now must become a public political figure, dealing with Russia, China, and convincing Congress to cut defense spending. But a former battle buddy thinks he is very much up to the job. Lloyd is a very introverted, thoughtful, uh, ethical, and courageous soldier and individual. He's smart as a whip. The two men know each other quite well. Their relationship dates back to when Austin was in command in Iraq and Bo Biden, the president-elect's late son, was on General Austin's staff. Jake? All right, Barbara Starr at the Pentagon. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.